Um, my name is Emma. I'm a second year psych student, and today we're reading a passage from the Bible from John chapter 13. Um, we're starting at the first verse, um, so you can either find that in your Bibles or in your fun little pamphlets that you got given when you walked in. Um, and if you didn't get given one, there's a beautiful person up there. Um, so yeah, we'll start. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid, out his, uh, he laid his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Are you all confused because there's more than I was supposed to read? No, that's we're still going to called? 20. Do you oh, have okay. 20 with you? Maybe if we could keep going to 20. Yeah. Thanks. Sorry. That's my fault, I think. We'll continue reading. Thanks, um, From verse 13. Um, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. For if I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do, just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. <laughs> uh, it's good to see you. Thanks, Emma, for the reading. It's a bit dramatic, wasn't it? It's, uh, I think that's on me. That's my fault. My apologies. But I want to add my welcome to you, add my welcome to Simon's. It's really good to see you here, especially if it is your first time with us at Uni Bible Talks. We have public talks every week, but these are special weeks. We're calling them Jesus Weeks. So whether you're a student or maybe your staff or faculty, um, maybe you're none of those, but you're still welcome. You're in the right place because we're talking about love. And who doesn't want to know about love? But we're talking about love as we encounter the God who is love and his son 
whom he loves and sent in love. All about love today as we hear God speak to us in his word. Now, uh, Simon has sort of indicated we are open and honest about who we are and what we do at Uni Bible Group. And I want to do that right from the start today. I want to be upfront about how we're going to finish the talk. Now, on the paper that you have there, where you're reading the Bible passage, you'll see on the part that you can take home, we have a prayer printed, if you can see that. And I'll bring that to your attention now. Uh, this is how we're going to end the talk. With these words, praying to God. Hopefully, not misleading or manipulating you in any way, but we're not hiding that fact. And so, it's appropriate also that we open now in praying to God. Again, they're not magic words, but I'm going to ask his help to understand him now. So, you might like to bow your heads as I lead us in prayer together. Shall we pray? God and Father, we thank you that we can hear you speak to us in the Bible this lunchtime. So we pray you'll help us to know Jesus and why he is central to love. Help us respond to him knowingly and help me speak in a way true to your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes. All right, this might be out. <laughs> I don't think we're here, Jeremy. I've got to take a little time, a little time to think things over. I better read between the lines in case I need it when I'm older. Now, this mountain I must climb feels like the world upon my shoulders. But through the clouds, I see love shine. It keeps me warm as life grows colder. In my life, there's been heartache and pain. I don't know if I can face it again. Can't stop now. I've travelled so far to change this lonely life. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I know you can show me. Do you know them? You know these words? Some of you? They are, of course, Jeremy, do we have it? The opening words of the 84 Power Ballad by Foreigner. And you go, yeah, of course, Foreigner. Maybe not. But the guitarist in the shades, Mick Jones, says he had divine inspiration when he wrote it one morning at 3am. He'd been going through, well, he'd gone through a divorce and he was about to remarry someone else. And the song actually went number one worldwide. And he's receiving letters from all around the world from people who found comfort in their suffering and sadness through this song. You can look it up later. It's, it's a pretty good song. It's been covered by Mariah and some Swedish hipsters, I discovered. So that, that's a test of its goodness, isn't it? <laughs> 34 years later, and hundreds and hundreds of love songs later, arguably, we are more confused about love in 2018 than in the 80s. What is love? And how's it found? Now, we do know 
Thanks, Jeremy, that love songs and movies and series are massive money makers for good reason, don't we? Good reason. Because of their quality. No, it's not because of their quality. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that hurts. It's not their quality. But it does tap into something deep inside us, doesn't it? Into something about how we've been made by our creator, God, who has made each one of you in this room. It's not random. It's not just chemicals buzzing. And yet, confusion abounds. In his best-selling book, Modern Romance, Aziz Ansari, the stand-up comic and actor, says, we're lost. We are lost with millions of potential soulmates in our pocket directory Tinder. Sadly, earlier this year... Sorry, Jeremy. No, we'll go back. <laughs> Sadly, earlier this year, he was accused himself of sexual harassment. Or the Bishop Michael Curry, the animated speaker at the royal wedding, uh, in my view, goes so far as to make romantic love the one dominant, overriding love by which we know what love is. It's unhelpful. And slogans like love is love, whilst powerful, they clarify very little if you do want to know what love is. For not all loves are created equal. My love for a good pair of running shoes is not the same as my love for my wife nor for my kids, which is different again. They are different loves appropriate to different objects or persons. But sadly today, it seems, we love persons as if objects. Just ponder that. I think you know it when a husband or a partner remorseful for his violence in the home cries, I love her. Next slide, thanks, Sorry. We know that's not right. Or when a young bloke fed to the brim on porn coerces someone into sex and actually it's so grey as to whether or not it's consensual by the letter of the law, we know that's not love. At least, I hope we still do. For he's turned that person into an object to serve himself. You want to know what love is in a world of confusion? You want to know what love is beyond a media soundbite or beyond raunch masquerading as romance? God shows us. He shows us true love. And I hope it does change your life. The Bible passage that we have before us comes from the book of John. It's a historically reliable account written by one of Jesus' closest followers. Now, our passage, you could say, is about two-thirds of the way through this narrative, and for better or for worse, uh, you don't start a Netflix series scanning through and choose that episode two-thirds of the way through. So, here we are. But Jesus has been performing miraculous mir like signs, miracles, and he explains them. He explains those signs. For example, he's healed a crippled man, and then he explains the authority by which he does it. It's God who sent him by which he's healed. Or he raises Lazarus from the dead and then explains that he himself is resurrection and the life. And central to all of it is that he's come from God the Father, sent by God. And we see that in our opening verse. If you want to open up to the passage Emma's read, you can follow along. Sentence number one. 
Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, <coughs> and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. And we'll pause there. Can you see that it's out-of-this-world stuff and spiritual realm stuff? Sentence one, we're told Jesus knows his hour has come to depart out of the world to the Father. Out of this world. Sentence two, the devil is involved in Judas's plot to betray Jesus spiritual realm stuff. And sentence three, we're told Jesus knows the Father has given all things into his hands. And that he'll go back to him. Just like another song goes, he's got the whole world in his hands. So there's more to this supper than just food. All authority is given into Jesus' hands. And that's hard to picture. That's hard to grasp. So I thought an aid might help us. Have a look at the image on screen. We've got the next image. And for the sake of just the audio, on screen we have a picture of Donald Trump and Barack Obama sitting together, and I'm going to say uncomfortably. Is that a fair assessment? <laughs> now, does anyone know what this scene is? Don't be shy. Call it out. What's the scene? Yes, what was it? Handover, turnover. That's right, very good. It is, of course, all authority being handed over. Well done. It's a handover meeting for the Office of Presidency of the United States in 2016. Do you remember where you were when that happened? All authority for the most powerful economic and military nation on earth is given into those hands. That's a lot of power. The last I heard, it's more military power than the next 13 largest war nations combined. That's a lot of power. But President Trump's power is nothing compared to Jesus' power. Look again at sentence 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Now, why does John write this, do you think? And moreover, how does he even know what Jesus knows. How, how is it? Well, let's hear in Jesus' own words that come earlier in John chapter 5. Jerry, if you go forward one and next one. John chapter 5, verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will show him that you may marvel. It's because God the Father loves Jesus that all things have been put into his hands. And Jesus' power certainly is evident so far in all his healings and miracles and even raising dead people to life. So knowing that all things have given to him, what comes next? What comes? Verse 4, sentence 4, Jesus rose from supper. Now, he had to rise because, as you see in the next slide, 
a little bit. The way they had tables was that they lie down, leaning into tables, maybe a bit like the Japanese, except less neatness and more leaning and lying, more lying down. That's what he's rising from, okay? And then, sentence four, let's keep going, he laid aside his outer garments, which I think you'd know if someone walks in and they take off their jacket or they take off their coat, you know something serious is going to happen, yeah? Uh, let's get... Let's get nerdy. If a, if a Jedi walks in and they start disrobing, you know they're going to get some lightsaber action happening. You know, it's getting serious. Jesus lays down his outer garments. Remember the context. All things are given into his hands. What's coming next? It must be something that this whole world ruler is going to do. What's he going to do? Verse 4. Sentence 4. Partway through. Look with me laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it round his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Wow. Jaw-dropping wow. Jesus washes their feet. This is so... Unbelievable on so many levels. Feet at that time were filthy. They were dirty. Dirt roads and sandals, it's gross. It's not like these nice white sneakers that are pristine on university, university campus at the moment. Okay, Dirty, disgusting. And so foot washing was necessary. But it was a lowly task. It's not even done by family or by peers, or by Jewish servants. Jesus and John were Jews, not even by the Jewish servants, but by the foreigner servants. For example, how many, let's say, how many Aussies do you see washing dishes in Chinese <coughs> restaurants around Wollongong or Sydney? You don't do. It's always the Chinese who have paid cash and illegal rates. How many CEOs do you see getting their hands dirty washing dishes or doing their own laundry? Who is Jesus to do this? He's their leader. All things given into his hands. I reckon if they're sitting there, they're not even reaching for their smartphones to capture the moment because they're just frozen, jaws on the ground. Unbelievable. Hard to picture, maybe. So another aid to help us, hopefully. Uh, this scene isn't too far off or a distant impossibility for you, but your graduation ceremony. Um, maybe you might not go to one until it's your own. So here's a little taste of what you might see at UOW. The trumpet sounds. Oh, important. And the VIPs walk in. Yes, the academic procession, whoever that will be on the day. And I think the Chancellor's scepter is carried before them. And the one thing you need to remember before you get on stage... Does anyone know what it is? I graduated from another uni. I think it's the same. You touch your mortarboard hat. Thank you, graduates. Yes, you touch your hat. You stop first to acknowledge, and then you keep walking. Well, imagine that it's your ceremony, and the Chancellor comes over and says, hold on, hold on, stops you over on the side of the stage, stops you from touching your hat and actually ushers you over 
to his chair, takes off his, well, look at those robes, takes off his robes, and what does he do? Gives you a foot rub? No, it might be inappropriate. Maybe he gives you a shoulder massage. What is this? This is actually super awkward. Everyone's got their phones out on you. But it pales even in comparison to what Jesus does, washing their feet. Why is he doing it all? Why is he doing it all? Verse 1. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. It's love. It's love. And we know verse number 10. Even Judas, who is soon going to betray Jesus, has his own feet washed as well. And in sentence 11, we know that Jesus knows that Judas is his betrayer. Yet his feet are still washed. Unbelievable. Jesus, the ruler of all things, thanks Jeremy, loves them as a servant. Wow. But now to point number two. Someone, someone does break the stunned silence and it's the disciple Peter. Look from sentence six with me. Someone had to break the silence. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Have you ever had one of those conversations where you're both talking to each other, you understand the words that you're saying, but you're just going like this across each other? You're sort of... I'm, I'm here, and you're here, and we're just talking. Yeah, it's not pleasant. And poor Peter, he can't get over the foot washing. But Jesus is saying, there's more to foot washing only. Let's work our way backwards through the conversation to unpack what he actually means. In verse number 8, you have no share with me, says Jesus. What could he mean? Well, remember, we've just seen in number 3, that Jesus knows his Father has given all things into his hands. So to have a share with Jesus for the disciples must mean sharing incredibly in his rule and power over all things. Wow! That is what I call standing on the right side of history. Having a share with Jesus into whose hands has been given all but there's a condition, verse 8. It's conditional upon Jesus washing them. Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. There's more to it than dirty feet. There's more to it than just nice looking externals for your Instagram or just to impress others. The washing goes deep to the core of who we are. It's nothing like an online identity. It's your heart. And this is what we've got to get today, friends, that Jesus exposes our hearts. On the next slide, going back again to John chapter 3, verse 19. John writes, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world 
And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Now, if you're here at our talk yesterday, you know the light refers to Jesus himself entering the world he made. But notice not all love is equal or good. People love darkness. What does that mean? Well, if we go to another passage, thanks, in Mark 7, Jesus reveals the extent of it. Mark chapter 7, verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these come from within and make a person unclean. It's all-encompassing. It's not some socially acceptable moral norms that just evolve and change over time. Jesus targets every single human heart through history, including everyone in this room, on this campus. When was the last time you slandered someone, saying false and damaging things about them, even off the cuff? When's the last time you deceived someone, intentionally just hiding the truth? <coughs> just. Well, the last time you were sexually immoral, immoral, immoral. These in Jesus' list, and even anger, have just become so part and parcel of online world interactions, it's just part of the air we breathe more and more, and our accepted norms. It's so normal, such that we could think that it's actually only the, the, you know, the dark web stuff that's really the bad stuff. Or the trolls, the online trolls, they're the ones, or the child pornographers, they're the ones. But Jesus' words don't allow us to do that. And if I might speak to sexually, uh, sexual immorality in particular, just because of its connection to our, our topic of love today, or wrong <coughs> ideas of love, the slogans uh, of today, be yourself and do what makes you happy, make you king. And so, of course, the number one love is for self. Which actually isn't love at all. Jesus loved them to the end. But so long as sexting and hookups uh, online, it's all consensual and legal, it's not hurting anyone. But it is hurting plenty. What we look at is known to rewire and reshape the brain and reshape minds such that we treat people as objects. And that's not love. Now, please do not hear me wrong. Don't hear Christians wrong because sex is a great gift from God. God doesn't create Adam and Eve and go, oh no, oh no. Yep, they're, doing, they're having sex, and they're enjoying it. Oh, what's happened? Sex is, 
good for the purposes which God's given it. And it's to join the husband and wife for life. It's good. But Adam and Eve's problem, like our problem, and every human heart that's lived between them and us, is a heart that rejects God's goodness for our evil. Adam and Eve's problem is the same as our problem, and it's our hearts that reject God's goodness for our evil. And Jesus loves us enough to show us the state of our hearts. He's showing you. And to tell us that no amount of washing can ever make us clean in ourselves, our own efforts for rejecting him. The James Bond character has so many of the problems that we are touching on today. So don't let that, don't let these characters numb to that fact. But there's one scene in Daniel Craig's first Bond movie, Casino Royale, that taps into this idea of being able to, not being able to wash ourselves. Uh, if you know Casino Royale, there's this high, stake, high stakes poker match that comes right in the middle of it, and it's like the whole centerpiece of the movie. Now, there's this break in the poker game, and James Bond with his assistant, Vesper Lynn, they have to leave it, and they almost get killed by some sort of other guy, baddies. Uh, but James Bond saves her by killing the bad guys in front of her. And soon after, he finds her back in the hotel room, sitting in a shower, a cold running shower, fully clothed, but totally traumatised. She's unable to get the blood off can't wash it off. And friends, that's us. That is us. We cannot wash ourselves, not even in part, by anything we do, because we love darkness and because of our evil hearts. And so we face a very real eternity outside of Jesus' love in hell. Jesus' words... Verse 8, you have no share with me. But it brings us to the third part to unpack in this conversation. Remember, we're working our way backwards. Sentence number 7. Afterwards, you will understand. After what? After what? Remember, Jesus' foot washing, it's radical love, we've seen it. But the foot washing points forward to a much greater act of radical love. Jesus loves them to the end by dying, by crucifixion, for them. And there, he took the punishment on himself that we deserve for rejecting God. He, whose heart was only love for God his Father, did not deserve death, let alone this death, mockery and pain. But he did it out of love and because of God's love for us. The most famous verse in the Bible is John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, remember the world that's opposed to him, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, God's love is other person-centred love, such that if we trust in Jesus, God's anger at our sin is turned aside from us 
and on to Jesus. And we are washed completely, completely clean, as Jesus says. Verse 10. It wasn't all of them, though. And I dare say, perhaps, it may not be all of us in this room. Certainly not all of us on this campus. Verse 11. For he knew, Jesus knew, who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. I meet many people uh, who come to the church that I'm connected to and they want to be baptised or they want to have a wedding in a church because they just get the vibe that that's the good thing. So they've got their list of certain things they must do that will give them an okay pass at the end of time with God. But it takes trusting Jesus' death alone that washes us. And so living for him as Lord of your life and King of your life and number one of your life. Remaining in his love, obeying him, the risen Lord who rules all from heaven now, all in his hands. Friends, you know better than me, anyone can throw away around the love language. This language of oh yeah, love. Of course, we all agree love's good, don't we? No one comes out against love. But we've seen there's so many sound bites and songs and soppy romance and slogans what is love? We're actually confused. But Jesus shows us real love. It's sacrificial for the other person ahead of himself, such that by his sacrifice we can be saved for eternity. This is why Christians love. This is what we're talking about today. It's costly, but this is why we do it. To finish, will you follow with me to nearly the end from verse 12 and then we'll hear a story. Look at, look at sentence 12 with me. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Christians love because Jesus loved us to the end by dying to save us. And I want to finish by sharing with you a story on this radical love of Jesus. Recently I heard of a woman in a part of Asia who, whose husband left her decades ago. He left her for what he thought would be a better life in the US. This woman had a hard life. Not only abandoned by her husband and also by her siblings, she had no money to raise her son who was depressed and often suicidal. But as a Christian woman, knowing the love of Jesus, she felt compelled to forgive her husband and welcome him back. And if you know anything about 
Asian cultures with honour and shame. This is just amazing, unbelievable, sort of jaw-dropping. But her husband in the US, remember, gone there to make a better life for himself, he had since himself hit rock bottom. He was living in a homeless shelter and washing dishes just to survive. This woman, with what little she had, chose to forgive him and even pay for his plane ticket back to their part of Asia. And they're working things through as husband and wife. And he's seen firsthand Jesus' life. Can you believe that? Have you ever heard of something like that? I think this woman is amazing. Radical love. I think she's amazing. And she is. But she's not greater than her master. She's simply doing as her Lord Jesus has done for her. Loving to the end. For her, it's not self-love and do what makes you happy. Like we'll try. But it's Jesus' words, do as I've done for you. who loved her by dying for her <coughs> to wash her completely and give her a share in his eternal rule. Friends, if you've not already, will you join her in that share? Will you join with us in that share? Will you join with the Lord Jesus in that share? Turn from darkness to trusting and loving Jesus. There's an opportunity to do it today, to trust him and live for him. So, as I've said at the start, I draw your attention to the prayer that you've got on the paper. And we're going to all pray it now. I'll invite all of us to pray it uh, slowly. What we're going to do is, I'm going to work through the prayer, just saying it aloud, one line at a time. And you can make it your own prayer to God by echoing each line silently in your heart to God. And you can know that God hears you. So, let's all perhaps bow our heads and I'll lead us in praying this prayer to God as our Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I admit I've rejected you and lived my own way. I'm sorry for loving darkness seen in my evil deeds. Forgive me. Thank you that in love you sent Jesus to die for me. Thank you that he loved to the end, taking the punishment I deserve. Help me trust and obey Jesus as my Saviour and Lord from now on. And love others like him. Amen.
Now, if you did pray that prayer for the first time, today is actually a cause for celebration for you. And we'd like to be included in that cause for celebration, uh, to know and to help you know Jesus' love and live for him with us together. What would be helpful is actually if everyone can take that slip that you have there and tear it off, the perforated slip, and complete the response card. And if you have prayed that prayer for the first time, could you indicate that on the card there appropriately? Uh, if you've come with a friend, certainly speak and share with them afterwards or come and speak to one of us you've seen. Um, and there's going to be further activities, I think, that the Union Bible group are going to hold and we might hear some of those, but I'll um, uh, hand back to, you know, to Simon and think. Elliot, thank you for Hello, I'm Elliot and I'm an engineering student and I'd love to pray for us and love to invite you to join me in prayer where we've learned that God loves us so much and we see that love in Jesus and his sacrificial love for us. Um, so we can pray to that Father, um, knowing that He loves us, and present both our needs and our, our heart to Him. So please join me in praying. God and Father in Heaven, thank you that in this world of confusion about love, you have shown your love in giving your only Son, Jesus. Thank you that Jesus loved his disciples as a servant, washing their feet. Thank you that Jesus served them and us by dying on the cross in our place. Help us to believe in him and so have a share with him in his kingdom. Help us love and obey him and his light and not the darkness of our hearts. Help us live with him as king and number one in our life and love others sacrificially like him. And we pray many more will come to know and trust him for eternal life at UOW and throughout the world. Amen.